Hi, everyone. This is Catherine Adams. And Elizabeth Wallace. And you're listening to Binary System Podcast number 299. And tonight, okay, so we don't have a Night Vale episode to recap because they're still on hiatus. We don't have a Laura Olympus episode because they're on hiatus. We can't talk about Saga because that doesn't come out until Wednesday. We have officially run out of excuses. We finally sat down, both of us, and watched Spider-Man Far From Home. And you would think it would be easier for us to watch a friggin' Marvel movie movie. I don't know why it's taken us this long. You know, it's 2019, right? I think is when it came out. Yeah. When I first saw that it was 2019, I was like, oh no, that was two years ago. (gasps) No, that was three years ago. Three years ago. Oh God. (laughs) That's bad even for us, to be honest, especially considering it's a Marvel movie. I know. No kidding. But we should probably start with the weekly sit rep, although there isn't that much going on, I don't think. No, but for everybody who asked about Hannah, she is out of the hospital. That was many more days than she wanted to stay. Obviously, one day is more days than she mm-hmm. wanted to stay. But she is definitely doing good, and I think she had some good people in her corner, and now she's just dealing with the nonsense of insurance and blood tests and gross stuff like that. So um, I, I'm really glad she's home, and I hope that uh, hope the annoying stuff isn't too annoying. Yeah, she talked about going to uh, the lab to get uh, blood work done, and those places aren't fun at all. I had to do that when... I had to do blood work for our insurance. It felt like everybody else there was there for mandatory court-ordered drug tests. It's oh, wow. that kind of feeling. And then you combine that with COVID still being a thing. And, yeah, and of yeah. course, she was also stressed because they I don't think they had the paperwork she needed. It was just, it was not fun. Thank God she managed to get it finished. She doesn't have to do that again today. Yeah, but. yeah seriously. Oh, God. Um, yeah, the COVID numbers are still going up. It's funny because... Um, our orchestra conductor said something about, you know, hoping that people start coming back to the orchestra soon. He said, with the Omicron numbers going down, I hope it's sooner than later. And I was like, are they going down? I don't feel like they're going down. If they're not, if they're going down, they're not going down that fast. No, I don't think so. I think the infections are going up faster. But the thing is, the hospitalizations and the deaths are not going up as fast. Right. But I don't know if that's changing. It seems like I'll hear a oh my God, it's getting worse. And then I hear again, a doctor saying that just because the numbers are getting better doesn't mean we can relax our guard. I'm like, wait a minute, they're getting better now. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I don't know. Um, the I think what is it? What is the U.S. vaccine tracker up to now? It's like sixty-three point something. I something think, like for, that. Yeah. yeah, that's total vaccinations, like fully vaccinated out of everybody in the entire country, men, women, and children. Sixty-three point something percent. I guess at one point they had said that they wanted everybody at seventy percent. I mean, that's still within the realm of possibility. I'd personally be happy to see 65, but I don't know. It's still going up really, really slowly, but it's still going up. Yeah, I saw North Carolina hit 80% of people getting at least one shot, which to me feels pretty good. Although, with the invention of the boosters, that doesn't really feel like it means as much even as it did before. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. San Diego's only like 30% of people have been boosted. So Ah. I think it's that... uh, vaccine fatigue that we were talking about. So I don't, I don't know, just try and remember, you know, this whole thing about, oh, well, we should just, I don't know, we should just live with it and just open everything back up. 
And I just saw somebody today said, okay, for everybody who says that, you have to say how we will deal with the hospitals being overrun. Because they're overrun now, and doctors and nurses are completely exhausted and freaking out. And if we just open the doors wide open, it's only going to be worse. So if you want us to open it up, you have to say, how are we going to handle that? How are we going to give the doctors and nurses the support they need, that they need right now, but they will certainly need? Because if that's what you want to do, cool. But you can't just say that. And somebody was like, you know, no more just vibes. You have to have a plan. And I'm like, yeah, that is very true. Yeah, because of course, this last week we lost meatloaf to COVID. And I don't know that he was anti-vaccine, but he was anti-vaccine mandates. And he said, like, the only reason we're shutting things down now is because of politics. And it was basically, he was tired of all the shutting down. And I just don't get this magical thinking, this idea like, if I'm tired of it, that's the same thing as it's a good idea to stop. So, and it isn't. I mean, you can, sure, you're tired of it. We're all tired of it. We're sick to death of having to deal with this crap. Still not a good idea to wander around without a mask or a vaccine or social distancing or any of that stuff. Oh, man. I I was listening to an old episode of our podcast, like, almost exactly a year ago. We're like, well, the vaccines are coming down the pike and, you know, people get vaccinated. Hopefully we'll see the end of this soon. I am actually kind of glad that we didn't know a year ago that we'd still be dealing with this a year later. I think it's better to just constantly have that hope that it might end because if somebody had told me, yeah, you're still going to be, you know, kind of locked down a year from now, I would have just freaked out. Oh, God, this this March is going to be two years, I think, that we've been dealing with this crap to like 2020 to 2022. I'm glad I didn't know in 2020 that this was still going to be going on now. I probably would have freaked out a lot more. Yeah, exactly. And if we'd have freaked out, think about all the people who didn't want to lock things down in the first place. Oh my God, they would have just gone ballistic. Wow. But, you know, like I said, Hannah came home from the hospital and she's doing good. Mom and dad are doing good. Catherine and Nathan are doing good. I'm doing good. Yeah, it got down to 17 degrees the other night, which I'm sure folks up north would probably laugh at that sort of thing. But we had three inches of snow, and it was really pretty. And it was was real snow. It wasn't like ice or slush or stuff like that. It was the kind of snow that makes that sort of crunchy noise when you walk across it. Oh, I do miss that. I mean, I don't miss having to deal with snow. The snow is great if you don't have to go anywhere in it, as far as I'm concerned. But that whole scraping ice off your windshield and having to, like, wait for the roads to get salt. I'm like, no. Dad actually asked me, because of course dad's in Florida, and he asked me in San Diego, he said, did you guys get any snow that far south? I was like, no, of course not. Absolutely. (laughs) San Diego, does San Diego ever get snow in the history of San Diego? If you go out way east and north, I guess, I mean, there are mountains out here. So if you go up into the mountains, sure. But in my area, now we got, it got down to like 57 degrees at one point. Ooh, it was chilly. So, but um, yeah, no, not nearly as bad as you guys. <laughs> so, okay. So we got to jump into Spider-Man Far From Home, which really was, I mean, I know we use this word a lot, but it was kind of delightful. It was. It was madcap in places. Yeah. And the effects were amazing. And and they weren't just really good, but I could still figure out what was going on. They weren't confusing yes. battle scenes. I mean, you could yeah. tell where the movement was coming from. They managed to delineate that. And I think the story really surprised me like a yeah. bunch of times. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, we, we should probably say great big spoilers for oh Spider-Man yes. Far From Home for all of you people who have also taken a long time to see it, which I can't huh. imagine there's that many people who have waited this long and still care. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you don't usually have to worry about too many spoilers with us on this podcast because God will wait until everybody else has watched it. But anyway, one of the things I like in the fights, like they've really nailed down the whole like web slinging thing, him, you know, shooting out webs and swinging around and jumping up into the air and all that kind of stuff. That's cool. What I was noticing more of this time, because of course he was way out of his element a few times because Mysterio, you know, with all the firepower that he had behind him, those were some really rough fights. There were several times when he's like swinging around and you see him hit the webs out, but it's almost like frantic, like got to try and catch something, anything, you know, I love what he was doing. That. <laughs> and the uh, Mysterio's power with the green... Yes. The green beams. That was really yeah. visually pleasing as well. Yes, it was. But it was also cool when, spoilers, when you find out that it's all supported by drones and, you know, the massive big fight with all the drones going on. That looked cool at every level. Like on the outside, the giant monster that he created that was just tearing through everything, that looked great. But then you got to see it on the inside with how the drones were kind of projecting everything. I mean, even Peter, who finally managed just to swing in there in the midst of the big last battle. He like lands on one of the drones. He's looking around like, whoa, that's awesome. I mean, even he's impressed. <laughs> and he had to deal with that whole, that really surreal scene where Mysterio oh, is just making wow. this nightmare world around him to like oh, completely knock him off balance. That was also very cool. Every moment be- of that. Because it was also cool because, you know, he'd be fighting against these illusions and everything and then he hit out the web and yank on something and he pulls a crane down on top of himself. You know, he's running forward and he smacks right into a concrete pillar that he didn't know was there. Mysterio was really using the environment against him and I really like that. And of course, Nick Fury shows up and shoots him in the back and, you know, he gets up and I'm like, yay, Nick Fury's here. And then it turns out it's not Nick it's Fury. I'm like, illusion. Oh my God, I should have seen that coming. After a while, I was doing that. I was like, is that really Happy who just showed up? I'm not sure it really is. Oh my God. (laughs) But I loved the fact that I knew Mysterio had to be a bad guy. I mean, you have to have one antagonist for every movie, at least one. So I knew that a lot of this was probably going to be a lie. I totally was not prepared for the idea that he is a former flunky of Tony Stark. And then when he manages to convince Peter to give him Tony's glasses so he has control of all of this hardware and he's sitting in the bar and then he turns around and says to everybody, well, that wasn't hard, was it? And everybody in the bar, yay! I'm like, what the hell is happening here? That was great. I mean, that's a different type of world building right there, where you've got all this stuff going on, but who are the bad guys? They're the people that you've been seeing in the background of every lab scene in a Marvel movie. They're just disgruntled employees who are really smart and tired of being picked on, and they're not going to take it anymore. I'm like, that's pretty Pretty cool. It's you know? amazing what would have happened if they'd actually had something good in mind other than let's make me into a superhero, which I think they kind of borrowed from the Incredibles movie. The idea that, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, this whole yeah. idea like I'm going to create the problem so that I can solve it with the magic that I also created to make me into a hero. And that seemed yeah. to be the sum total of his goals, I think. Yeah, it kind of was, but you know, Stark did fire him. I mean, I'm sure Stark had many reasons for firing him, but also because he said I was unstable. I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely seeing that, you know. I Pretty unstable. Oh, and Tom Holland really nailed it in the scene where he's confronting Mysterio, who's been shot by his own drones because he's an idiot, 
and he's like leaning up against the ground and Peter is talking to him and then all of a sudden Peter just reaches off to the side and grabs something in midair and you hear a gunshot go off and it was Mysterio was invisible was standing there getting ready to shoot him in the head and yes, I thought yes. Tom Holland did a really great job of just sitting there going oh, that just happened <laughs> yeah exactly and I love that that scene you know of course his what is his Peter Tingle working. <laughs> he was even calling it that by the end oh yeah but he sits there, like, right in that final scene with Mysterio, and he's like, come on, Peter Tingle, you've got to work. And then he just launches himself forward, and it was just, it was brutal. He's like this juggernaut going down the hallway, taking out these drones, using basically his spidey sense to take out all the drones. It was, that was wonderful. I loved seeing all that. Now, the part that I didn't care for as much in the movie was the madcap high school drama on summer vacation sort of thing, which... I always find it's interesting when I can see a movie and say, this is a good movie. This is a well-thought-out plot. This is very effective. This part here is not for me. Yeah, no. I've Also, the whole, like, when are we going to get to the point when people stop lying to each other? I swear to God, he gets to the bit where he and MJ have realized that the whole Mysterio thing was all fake because the projector goes off, which I like when it went off in between them. The monster shows up briefly, and then it goes back down, and you see Peter, the hell? was that? I really liked his (laughs) delivery right there. But then he just flat out tells MJ, and she's like, really, you're not just making fun of me? And she's like, I knew it! I love that she had only been like 67% sure, but there was this, when she and he were both on the same page, and everything was out in the open, there was such a feeling of relief that I had at that moment, because I'm like, oh god, finally, okay, that person is not going to get lied to anymore, that's awesome. And that's, I'm always waiting for that in these movies, I'm like, can we please just have everybody have the moment where they tell each other the truth and we move on? Yes, because that trope of, I've got to save the world, but I can't let my classmates know, it's so weirdly stressful. I mean, a big bad where someone could actually die is less stressful than Peter trying to figure out how to get away from his classmates in such a way that they don't think he's more of a weirdo than they already think. Yeah, seriously. They're in like the opera and he's saying, just tell MJ that I'm sick. I'm like, oh God, no, I hate it when they do that. She's not going to believe it. And she didn't. She totally didn't believe it. She's like, why is he leaving again? Man, I don't know what that festival was in Prague, but I want to go to it. I do too. I did not blame the kids for being annoyed that they were going to be stuck in a four-hour opera, which when I was thinking about that afterwards, okay, I know that that was arranged to make sure that his classmates were not wandering out about the town when some big monster was going to attack, but being inside a great big opera house, that could fall on you does not seem like a better solution. Yeah, also, he had access to Tony Stark's, like, multi, multi, multi multi-million dollar technology with Ethel, was that her name, I think? Edith. Uh, Edith, I think, I think. Um, If we got it wrong, there's going to be people listening to this podcast who are yelling at us, but I'm sorry. But he asks her to think of a way to keep everybody inside for four hours. And opera was the best thing they could come up with. For high school students? God, I don't think I would sit through four hours of an opera now. And I'm eight years old. Yeah. Uh, So basically... MJ and his friend Ned and Peter were all blipped out. Yes. Yep. They were. They uh, that were, was that was good timing kind of for the blip. Yeah. Actually, very lucky because yeah. he could have come yeah. back and MJ would have been really out of his league. Yeah. Man, Zendaya, she is so good. I love every scene. I love the way she delivers her lines. I love her character. I mean, he said something. 
you look nice. She said, so therefore I have value. He's like, no, that's not what I meant. She's like, I'm screwing with you. I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> that's awesome. She's hilarious. I also loved how earnest Peter was about liking her and this his idea that he was specifically going to find a store in Venice to buy a glass uh, black Dahlia pendant because she yes. likes, you know, and he and Zendaya and Ned all at the same time, the murders. Yeah. Murders, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but he goes to the store and I feel, or a, a shop, and it was all beautifully done. I mean, I'm not sure how they did the set design and the lighting and the colors and everything, but I was like, yeah, I would absolutely walk into a store like that. And the storekeeper holds up this glass pendant. And I think in any other movie, it would start a whole storyline about how he doesn't have enough money or he has yeah. to trade something for it. No, he buys it. And that was fine. Yeah. I'm like, well, that's perfect. Yeah, that's great. At one point, I thought in the fight, I saw something fling away. And I was like, oh, no, he dropped the pendant, because that's the thing that would totally happen and everything. No, we were. I think we were actually seeing that chunk of holographic technology mm-hmm. that was hit by his webs. I think that's what we saw. And, I mean, it did get broken later on. I like how she's like, that's okay, I like it broken. And I'm like, come on, Peter could fix that. You know he could totally <laughs> fix that thing. Now, for a badass scene, of course... Maria Hill and Nick Fury are bamboozled by Quentin, uh, Mr. Mysterio. So, no, sorry, Mysterio, that's right. Mysterio, Mysterio, yes. Mysterio. And, but then um, Happy manages to send him a coded message and lets him Mm -hmm. know something's up. And then Peter manages to destroy the holographic equipment or have it turned off. And you see one of the drones is aimed right at Nick Fury, who's standing at the window. And you see him say, you got me? And Maria just sends off this rocket launcher and takes out the uh, drone right in front of him. She's like, I gotcha. I'm like, that was so badass. I loved it. I loved it. It was so well filmed. It was so done to hear the chink of the gun before it goes off and the explosion. I'm like, beautifully done. Perfectly plotted. Excellent. I even liked right before then, because you didn't think at first that Nick Fury had got the message. Because, you know, I think Happy had said something like, oh, we, you know, found your surfboard. We didn't think it was yours, but, you know, appearances can be deceiving. And I'm thinking, there's no way Nick Fury got that. Yeah, he got that. He got that. But you've got him talking to Mysterio, who's running this whole thing, and he's asking Mysterio for an update, and Mysterio's just sort of play-acting into the microphone, and he said, oh, it's, it's gaining power. I think it's pulling more energy from the Earth's core. And you see Samuel Jackson sitting there looking at the window, and then he looks back at Maria Hill. Yeah, that's some bullshit. And he's like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Which may be a little bit disappointed by one of the end credit scenes, which is the Mm -hmm. fact that Maria Hill and Nick Fury that we have been following in this entire time in this movie were actually shapeshifters who were taking over for the two of them while they were on vacation, while they so were in space. So it was never them. It was never them. The entire time, at no time, which is nice, it sort of fits in the whole theme of the movie, like you can never trust anything that you see, but... I thought the exact same thing, though it was kind of softened by the fact that, you know, the real Nick Fury is actually on vacation on a space station or whatever. He's like in a Hawaiian shirt and he walks out of his little pod and he's just kind of like ambling along. You see him walk towards this little gangway. He's like, who's got my shoes? And that was it. That was the end of the scene. (laughs) It also made me feel a little bit better because Nick Fury was being pretty brutal to Peter about the fact Mm -hmm. that he needed to grow up. He needed to step up and take on his role as an Avenger. He didn't care if he had been looking forward to this vacation with his friends and that he had a girl that he wanted to impress. And I'm like, I kind of hope they think that 
means that Nick Fury wouldn't be like that. That Nick Fury yeah. would be a bit more savvy than that, than to expect a high school student is going to throw away every part of his life just so he can go and do something that he's out of his league for. Yeah, exactly. It also makes me feel a little bit better about the fact that, like, the last thing he says to Happy is, like, don't you dare ghost me, and he's kind of pointing at him, and I was like, that line kind of fell a little flat, but it would actually make a little more sense if you thought that that wasn't actually Nick Fury saying it. So yeah, it's no, so. a little bit better. But the other end credit scene was mm-hmm. the fact that before Quentin died, he somehow managed to upload a message to be broadcast to everybody, basically blaming Spider-Man for all of the destruction and then yep. outing Peter as Spider-Man. Boom, That's end right. of movie. Yeah. End of it, which is even more of a shame because they had that wonderful scene where Spider-Man takes MJ on a tour around the city and she's like holding on to him. Ah, I don't like any of this. Ah! <laughs> I thought that was a great subversion of the usual trope because most mm-hmm. of the time it's like a romantic thing with the girl getting to ride in Spider-Man's arms. <laughs> MJ's like, no, no, I don't like this at all. And then they disappear behind a building and she just lets out this blood curdling scream. <laughs> <laughs> so fun. Oh, and speaking of Happy, though, I did like a lot of the scenes that Happy had. You know, he, sh- of course, shows up to save the day. Oh, I love the scene with Peter Parker in the Netherlands when they'd, he'd been arrested because he was on the train and those guys who were in the cell with him, they were the nicest people ever. They were so nice. He just wakes up with these guys that have obviously painted themselves up as soccer hooligans and mm-hmm. he's just kind of looking around. He looks down and there's just like an orange shirt like resting over him and they said, we put the shirt on you because you looked cold. <laughs> yeah, and then they're talking about, oh yeah, the, the warden, he's over there, he's on the phone. Oh yeah, his wife is pregnant. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> And he, of course, breaks himself out, and you hear the warden, the other guys are just sort of shocked, and the warden calls in, you guys okay in there? And they sort of walk up to the open door, and then quietly just close the door, because they know they're not supposed to escape. Nice. (laughs) Another delightful surprise was Ned and Betty, two high school students who had no interest in each other whatsoever, until Peter managed to completely fail to get himself sat next to MJ for the eight-hour flight to Venice, and it managed to make Betty sit next to Ned, who have nothing in common whatsoever, and by the end of the flight, they're dating. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And then you get to the end of the movie, and they're not dating anymore, but it's fine. They just, they had a nice little fling, and then they grew apart, and they're just all perfectly happy and everything. I'm like, what's happening here? (laughs) (laughs) But Happy is great, because Happy has apparently got a thing going on with uh, Peter Parker's Aunt May, which is hilarious, because I love that it's Aunt May in the Marvel Universe. It's not the little old Aunt May that we always had in, like, the classic Spider-Man stories. No, Aunt May's kind of young and hot, and (laughs) Happy's got, like, this sort of relationship going on, but he's trying not to admit it to Peter, and when Peter's, like, clinging to the outside of the ship at one point, you hear him say, hey, we need to have a serious conversation about my aunt, and gets flung (laughs) off, and just (laughs) the time, and goes like, that happened another time, because he's in the middle of that big climactic fight, and he kind of manages at the last second to hit a web at one of the drones going, up. Flung out of the way. (laughs) God, I told Nathan about this one scene when um, Happy gives him access to the little fabricator aboard the ship so that Peter can make his own spider suit. And he says, you take care of the suit and I'll take care of the music. And he starts playing 
DC, uh, ACDC's Back in Black, which was Tony's yep. song. And yep. <laughs> see uh, uh, Peter go, oh, I love Led Zeppelin. And I'm sitting here going, ow, I, I think I can hear music fans' ears start bleeding there. I know. I'm sure there were people in the audience who were like, oh, boom. Because they didn't sure they address that. that. They didn't correct him. They nope, just let nope. that go. Nope, 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 nope. Boy, happy trying to save the kids and they're hiding in the what is it tower of london with crown jewels and everything and they managed to get away but you see happy grab this like old shield off of one of the suits of armor and he flings at the droid and it totally just clunks itself on the ground and he's like how does cap do that it's just (laughs) all of the tropes they absolutely addressed every single trope in this movie and i like that they're still dealing with the blip with the fact that people Mm. were gone for a while and then suddenly they came back where they were when they disappeared no matter what was going on before then and like mm-hmm. you saw a marching band show up in the middle of a um, an auditorium a, a high school gym while there was a yep. game going on so of course everybody gets slammed into may is helping out with a charity for people who got displaced by the blip because she shows up back in her apartment and apparently there was a whole new family there and the wife thought that she must have been a mistress and the mother thought she was a ghost so oh, they, there's so much that they can do now just just constantly weaving that storyline back into things. And I'm still yeah. wondering, because, you know, that was five years of animals and birds and fish and insects all breeding, and then suddenly yeah. you bring back that half of the population of everything that left. Why wasn't there, like, a massive die-off from lack of food for everything? Oh, there might have been. I don't know. I mean, we're still hearing about this little bits and pieces. Like, we got to see a little bit of that in uh, The Falcon, The Winter Soldier, the idea of refugees, because it's all over the world. But, yeah, I think in more movies and more TV shows, I think slowly but surely we're going to hear more, because it's got to be a pretty fertile ground for the writers, you know? It's just like, oh, we didn't think about this. Oh, we didn't think of And they're good at that world building, man. And you got to imagine there was a lot of relationships that would have ended during the blip without the person realizing it because the person they were married to or the person they were dating thought that they were dead. So they start a whole new relationship and a whole new family. And then suddenly they come back. And what are you going to do? Oh, my God. One of his teachers was, you know, of course, Peter on the eight hour flight gets stuck next to the not cool teacher who starts telling him about his ex-wife who pretended that she had blipped away so she could just run away from the relationship I'm like oh wow that's that's harsh right there and <laughs> really harsh it's it's kind of ingenious I would think mm-hmm. I mean that's mm-hmm. that's quite a lot of cover you would get for something like that but damn because yeah, you have to have absolutely no proof whatsoever you can be just like no I disappeared just, you know, people <laughs> just disappeared that's fine Oh, man. It was just, I I wish I had seen it sooner. But at the same time, I don't feel like, not having seen it before a lot of these Marvel shows, I don't think I missed too much, you Mm -mm. know, because this was post-Endgame. So, really, I haven't missed any Marvel movies because I haven't seen this movie, right? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. The only one I'm missing is Spider-Man No Way Home, which now we have to see, because apparently it jumped back up into the, um, the top of the charts this weekend, I think. Oh, did it? I yeah. There are other people who were catching up. Because like I said, I do think it's genius that they did not put this movie, Far From Home, available 
for free, free, quote unquote, on Disney Plus, because they're like, um, I'm sure a lot of people just weren't really watching Spider-Man. And now No Way Home came out and everybody says it's just mind blowing. And so all these people want to catch up. And you're like, well, you can, but you're going to have to pay for it. I'm yep. like, that is pretty brilliant. When you that get is. But that is all for Far From Home. I'm sorry it took us so long, but I'm better late than never. But now we got to move over to something else that we are catching up on <laughs> in the first season, right as the second season is about to come out. So both of us watched the episodes that were available on Delta when we were flying for Raised by Wolves. And let me tell you, that first episode, that first episode is different from anything I've ever seen before. And you were the one that told me that the where it goes really shocked you. And that, yeah, yeah it did, because that was violent, but also oh in a God. way that you don't really see violence done like that. Nope. And so, of course, great big spoiler warnings on this one. Skip forward, you know, a couple minutes if you don't want to get spoiled, because I really think... I feel that after the first episode, the show kind of settles down into kind of a more typical sci-fi action-adventure TV show. But if you just want to watch something that will mess with your head, watch the first episode of Raised by Wolves and then come back here and you can listen to us talk about it. Because, I mean, it starts out, it's so beautifully filmed. And of course, it's Ridley Scott. So you can feel this otherworldliness throughout the entire episode. And the basic storyline is that there's a war on Earth between atheists and the Mithraic civilization, who were just Mm -hmm. a stand-in for Christianity, I think. Mm -hmm. And the Mithraic win but they've destroyed the planet while they were doing so. So the Mithraic have a great big arc that everyone's going to be kind of in suspended animation and will take the long 13-year journey, I think it was, to uh, Kepler... What is it? I don't even remember. Something I don't even remember. Yeah. Um, But while they're doing that, uh, the atheists have managed to put together a much smaller ship that can travel without any... Um, life support because Uh it has 12 human embryos and two androids who will be raising them into a new civilization on this Kepler planet. And that's where we start. Yep, yep. And right from the very get-go, you see these two androids. It's a man and a woman. And the way they talk is a little bit stilted, but never annoying. Like, it's never just like, I am this person. But it's definitely something that does not kind of seem human, but I like the tone that they settle on. And the man has apparently been programmed to feel a sense of protectiveness towards the woman, and he actually tells her that. He says, your welfare is very important to me. And she says, and yours as well. You know, And they're, they're very pleasant with each other, and they're very nurturing without it necessarily being romantic, because they are androids. It's not like a sexual type of relationship with them. It's not really a love type of thing. They're partners. And it's mother and father are their names. And they mm-hmm. managed to grow six embryos and raise them up into children. And they're, they sound like they're wonderful parents. You know, um, all of this is being narrated by uh, the youngest one, the one who was <laughs> decanted from his embryonic state, the last. And he's telling the whole story about the fact that mother and father never took any time for themselves. And you're just like, well, yeah, they wouldn't because they're androids. They're programmed to do this one thing. So that's all they really want to do. But at the same time, you know, father tells terrible jokes the entire Mm. time, you know, really awful jokes, but he does it so charmingly. And it's obviously, it just feels like there's so much heart with him when he's talking about this. Yeah. Yeah. But 
things go south surprisingly fast. Like one of the youngest kids, I guess she's the first one, spoilers, to die. She falls down. There are all these pits around, which I guess are left over from giant prehistoric monsters or something. I don't know. But she's just a kid and she's just wandering around and she falls down one of those pits and dies. And so death enters the story and then slowly it gets all the other kids. They all die from some unknown illness. And you're like, what? They're they're all dead. Really? You know, and only the youngest is left. Only Campion. And uh, so there's really not much they can do about creating civilization. So father sees that the Mithraic Ark is showing up in orbit, so he goes to summon them. But mother has slowly been getting like kind of irrational, kind of like mm-hmm. freaked out and twitching and everything. Uh, she attacks father and rips out his processor and he dies. Yeah, <laughs> you're just like, what? wow, okay. Yeah. Very fast, extremely fast. But it's the Mithraic people, a group of them do manage to find their encampment. And mother is like, she's been, what do they call it? Is it breaking down? What do they call it when she's like, she's obviously, they're not meant to live forever. And so she's been talking about, I don't know, she's going to break down. That's one of the reasons why father wanted to contact the Mithraic people, because, you know, Campion's going to have to have other humans. If they're actually going to start society up again, I mean, they can't do it with just one kid, and they won't be around forever, and then he'll be by himself. But Mother didn't want to hear about it. So when the Mithraic people show up, she is so standoffish, but really weird. And it is interesting. At some point, they did get across the idea that the Mithraic people think that it is obscene to have an android raise a child. They have androids of their own, but they would never have one of them raise a child. Nope. nope. And they confer with each other, and they decide that Campion, there's something about him that makes uh, them think that he's part of this prophecy of an orphan in a strange land sort of thing. So they think they probably would be a good idea if they just took Campion with them, but they know that Mother's not going to like it, so they talk to their android and tell him, well, if she starts fighting, you're going to have to put her down. And the android's like, she looks like an older model, it won't be a problem. So... That's what starts happening. I mean, they're trying to convince Campion to go with them, but Mother steps in to try to push them away, and the android attacks, and they had this brutal fight. Oh, it's so brutal, and it's fast. I mean, you can definitely tell that this android that they've got with them is just built for combat. He is absolutely going to kill her. And Marcus, the entire time, is trying to pull Campion away from the fight because he's, like, worried about him seeing this. And then you hear this shrieking noise. And Marcus looks panicked, and he's like, don't look at her! And all of a sudden, he goes flying as Mother runs out and just hits him in the chest. Boom! Knocks him flying. And then she screams twice, and you see her eyes kind of flicker a little bit, and it melts off the faces of two of the other Mithraic people. I mean, just like just. Their faces bubble and distort, and they fall to the ground dead. It was fast. Mm. And, and she definitely looked different when she did it, and the sound that they make with that scream, it is so effectively creepy. I mean, it's not, it's definitely a scream of rage, but there's something really wrong with it. And then she just keeps going, you know, and she's been having these dreams about flying 
And you see her at one point before all this happens where she's standing outside and she's standing with her arms stretched out kind of like a cross. And she's obviously thinking of something. But at some point when all of this is happening, she actually like stretches out her arms and flies through the air. And it is so creepy. She turns into this gold metallic person-shaped thing, it mm-hmm. all looks really wrong in like in yeah. a wonderful way. You could see that Ridley Scott had a hand in all of the design. She flies after Marcus, who's trying to get away in the, the lander that he brought mm-hmm. with him. And she just she controls the lander and opens it up, and he turns around and starts firing blindly at her. And that wonderful shot of her marching forward, and she's just lit by the flashes from his gun, and it's doing oh, nothing. Man. Absolutely nope. nothing. Nope, nope, nope. So, yeah, she does get into the lander and then and then it keeps going. She takes the lander and she finds the Mithraic ship. And long story short, uh, she kills everybody. Yeah. Everybody, everybody on the ship. She just she gets aboard the ship and the doors open and the security guards start pulling their guns and she starts screaming. And every time she screams, one of the security guards just explodes and turns into a blood mist. Like, I mean, she's walking in slow motion through the hallway screaming and people are just turning into red mist in front of her. I have never seen anything like this scene. I was watching it on the plane and uh, it's that little screen that you see on the back of the Delta planes, which is probably one of the worst movie watching experiences you can have. And I was just mesmerized and also sort of looking around going like, is anybody else watching what I'm watching right now? Because this is violent. I was waiting for someone to look over and go, what are you watching? So, but it was so good. I was, I was mesmerized. I was completely entranced. And you even brought up a point because there was one guy who was still alive and she needed to have a retinal scan in order to make something work. She ripped off his eyelids. And it again, it's all fast. She rips it open and then slams him face down, and you get this brief shot of his eyeball up against the glass from underneath. And I'm going, why is this more brutal than her turning people into a mist? Oh, man. Because I feel like in another movie, she would have popped his eyeball out. Because I know we've seen that before. We've seen, like, the robot or the badass or whatever. Oh, it's a retinal scan, and they dig their eyeball out. This was in some way much, much worse, I think. Even though he was quote-unquote only ripping off the eyelid, just hearing that and you're just like, yeah. (laughs) But the last thing she does aboard the ship is she covers over her eyes with a bandage and then she walks into an area where there are children and mm-hmm. she just kind of smiles at them, and she's managed to get the blood cleaned off of her so she doesn't look as horrifying as she actually mm-hmm. is. But the, she crashes the Ark into the planet, and mm-hmm. there's like over a 1,000 people on that, and most of them are now dead. And there's yeah, yeah. a beautiful panoramic shot of this almost rainbow-like glow coming off this ship as it's dying, as it's crashing into the Earth. And you're just... I mean, I'm just watching this going, she just... She's killed, like, a good portion of the rest of humanity right mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, But she did take those kids with her. She took exactly five of them because she was programmed. They were going to have five children. Or, excuse me. They were going to have six children, but they lost five. So she brought five of the children, which you got to figure there had to have been a lot more kids on that thing as well. You know? I think so. So that's what the rest of the story is shaping up to be, is you've got the remnants of the Mithraic civilization who are trying to find out how they can survive, how they can maybe get their remaining children back and kill 
mother, who it turns out is a type of android called a necromancer, which mm-hmm. was something mm-hmm. that the Mithraics invented to slaughter atheists in battle, but someone's managed to reprogram her. But but she's still she's been programmed to be nurturing. But it's wonderful how that works because she's very calm and she's always very sweet and this relentless positivity. But you know she's the kind of person that can kill thousands of people just because her programming says that having just these few with her is fine and the rest of them can go. Yeah, and we also were talking, because spoilers, at one point she does manage to put Father back together. I think she took the heart out of one of the other androids and put it in his chest, I believe. Um, So she does get father working again and they continue to raise all you know the five new kids and the one that they already had but he is still of the two of them he is the more nurturing and she is the more violent and she is the more forceful and pushing them around and he doesn't agree with a lot of her choices but he recognized he's apparently an actual service model and she's definitely not a service model so he doesn't feel like he has as many abilities as she does and it is really I like the fact that they had it that way because if you had flipped the genders around, the dynamic would have been so different, I don't think it would have worked because it's not cool how she treats him. She does definitely browbeat him and she is not really respectful all the time. But it's kind of, it's one of those gender-related things. If it had been him doing it, it would have felt so much worse and then it would have felt like the patriarchy, I suppose. You know, yeah. it's like, it's not that it's better that she's doing it to him, but I wouldn't have liked watching it much if it had been him doing it to her. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I also think that if it, because it's a woman or a female-shaped object here who is mm-hmm. uh, in control there, you could almost see that she's got a plan for raising this colony and maybe keeping them separate from this, you know, religious people who are like not nice people. I mean, a lot no. of what they are is not really nice at all. No. no. Um, so you're almost wanting to root for her in a way, but if it had been a male who had been in charge, you would have been totally been like, no, get them to the rest of humanity. Obviously, they have to defeat the androids. Yeah, so it, yeah. is a, it is a very interesting dynamic, but um, one of the children that she rescued is a teenager named Tempest and it turned in mother is immediately very careful of her and wanting to make sure that she doesn't work too hard and that she has enough to eat and that she has a good place to sleep and it's because she's pregnant and it turned mm-hmm. out the second highest ranking cleric on board the entire arc managed to figure out how to get out of suspended animation and have huh? his way with some of the women while they were asleep and so now uh-huh. she's pregnant and yeah. as soon as she said, you know, he was set to be executed, which now won't happen because you already killed him. And I would thank you, but I was looking forward to watching him die. And I'm watching that going, I think he's probably still alive. And he is. Yes, he is. Yeah, because that, I mean, you can't set up something like that and then not have the guy be around to cause problems later on. And he does. So, yeah. Yeah, I've only watched five episodes so far, and there's ten in the series. And I think you've watched six. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Yep, I've watched six. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's where it's really fascinating series. But my God, that first episode just stands alone as a work of art on its own. Yeah. 
I've got a friend who watched probably the first three episodes and he stopped then because he was so disappointed that the next two episodes after the first one weren't really the same feeling as the first. And I'm like, I hear you. I still really enjoy all the episodes that came afterwards, but I can I can definitely see why you'd be like, I want more of that. No, that first episode is kind of on its own. However, season finale, you know, they probably are going to bring out all the stops for that one. I hope they bring Ridley Scott back because he directed the first two episodes, but then mm. someone else took over. So if they could That's just, right. uh, maybe they brought him back for the season finale. I don't know, but I'm I looking no forward idea. to seeing what that is. It's on HBO Max, so I had to pull the trigger to get a temporary HBO Max subscription, which will probably turn into a permanent subscription if I find more stuff that I want to watch. <laughs> Somebody said they should just bundle all the streaming services together and call it cable. <laughs> I'm like, I know. <laughs> So hilarious. But yeah, so season two is going to come out. So <laughs> there you go. Well, we'll have season two of that. And then we're, we've also started to get the trailers for season uh, the final season of Peaky Blinders. Peaky Blinders. Yeah. And I'm wondering, mm. uh, the actress who played Paul, of course, yeah. passed away last year. Yeah, so yeah. I have no idea how much of the series they recorded before that happened. I don't know. I don't know. And that means that we'll never see her get back together with Sadig Al-Fidil's character, which I was still, there was just a little bit of hope. And I've read some interviews. He doesn't even know why he wasn't brought back. It's weird. It's very strange. Yeah, but I did see that thing that um, our friend Vincent posted on Facebook, the suggestion Mm. that um, if you're looking for another actor to play the next Doctor Who, why not Sadig Al-Fidil? I would go for that. I would go for that. And he's also played a doctor before. (laughs) (laughs) But that is going to wrap us up for the week. So make sure to check out PixLadyGeek.com for all the book reviews, the movie reviews, the comic book reviews, the fan art galleries. Hope everybody has seen our fan art galleries we've been posting lately. I'm not sure what our next one is going to be. I don't know. Maybe before the second season of uh, Raised by Wolves comes out, we should uh, see if there's any good fan art for that. Yes, I think we ought to do that. I need to power through the rest of those episodes so I can watch the trailer for season two, which dropped a couple ah. of weeks ago. But I didn't want to watch it until I knew what happened in season one. Exactly. And then there's always a chance that if we can finally manage to watch Spider-Man No Way Home, now we can look for Spider-Man fan art and not worry about getting spoiled. Please. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. But anyway, uh, all that and more, pixelatedgeek.com. So... Saga is coming out as of time of this well as the time of this recording uh, it's coming out uh, day after tomorrow and oh, wow. of time of this episode dropping it came out yesterday because time is weird time is weird so I am hoping to have a review of that up on the site um, we will have a new Nightville episode coming out in um, what seven days yeah it, it might possibly be in time for us to record our next episode yeah that'd be good and then Maybe more Raised by Wolves. I don't know. I mean, we're, we run out of excuses for putting off watching some of this stuff. And that is good because we will put off this stuff as long as humanly possible. So, you know, one way or the other, we will talk to everybody in one week. Talk to you all later. Talk to you all later.